Good morning, church, and welcome to worship. My name is Andy Nelms, and I have the privilege of uh, being the associate pastor here at Lover's Lane, the pastor here at Thrive, and I am so excited to get to worship um, with so many of you. I've been um, participating online um, with you. Uh, I want to welcome Helga to worship. She's worshiping with us from Africa uh, this morning. It's, it's the afternoon there, but um, we are so blessed to get to worship with, with all of you. And I want to welcome you, especially if this is your first time with us this morning. Um, we are uh, so blessed to get to worship with you. Um, we are uh, in a um, sermon series called The New Normal, and we've been um, learning about kind of what it is to live into 2021, right? Um, maybe, you know, last year we, like, we were just kind of like racing for the finish line. We just, we just wanted to get to the end of the year, and, and we know that things are not just going to drastically get better um, this year just instantaneously. We, we know that it's going to be a gradual process, but um, the point is to live intentionally and to live into a new normal. What does it mean to be a people of faith in this new normal? And, and as I've been thinking about um, kind of what that means, I've been thinking, you know, um, this, this pandemic has really caused us um, to live more online, right? I mean, y- you know, thank God we have the capabilities to communicate that we do now um, that we didn't have, you know, even, you know, 20 years ago. And, and we are so thankful for those abilities. But, you know, what I've also realized is now that we've, um, you know, kind of moved all of our communication, our interaction into online, sometimes it's not always the best thing, right? There's this sense that, you know, social media is a great way to connect with other people. It really is, can be, can be an incredible blessing. But what I've also realized about social media, maybe you've realized this as well, that, that social media really kind of highlights our, 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 our biggest weaknesses, right? And that's what I've realized about the new normal, that in the new normal, weakness is, is really obvious. In the new normal, weakness is, is really obvious. The, those things like on social media, the, we used to have like a lot of ability to cover up our weaknesses pre-pandemic. Just, you know, even social media aside, we had a lot of ability pre-pandemic to cover up our weaknesses. And it seems like now that we are in this situation, now that we are in this new normal, those weaknesses, those things that we've covered up are, are even more glaring, right? Our our sense of narcissism is, is really highlighted now that, that we live almost kind of solely online. Our, you know, kind of basic instincts of, you know, just kind of like tuning out in front of a screen now have, have become even more magnified that, that we are in front of a screen so often. This, in the new normal, our, our weaknesses are obvious. And, and if you're a person of faith, I, I think there's some good news about those weaknesses. And even if you're not... If you're watching this morning and you don't know what you believe about Jesus, you don't know what you believe about God, we are so glad that you are here. It takes a lot of courage to to kind of participate in something that you're not quite sure about. And I want to let you know that I think this is good news for you as well. Um, I would encourage you to kind of practice this. Just, Just give it a try and see if it's true for you as well. And so what I've realized is that in the new normal, our weaknesses are obvious. All of these kind of basis instincts that we have that maybe aren't our best selves get highlighted and magnified in this new normal. And the question then is what to do about these weaknesses, what to do about these things. And I think scripture has a lot to tell us this morning. 
So in this morning, we're going to be reading um, from uh, the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, I would encourage you to go ahead and grab a Bible. Uh, if you have one with you, uh, maybe it's in your house, uh, somewhere on a bookshelf or whatever, go ahead and grab it. Maybe you use it on your phone, or um, maybe you don't have it on your phone, go ahead and, and, and download it. It's, it. Whatever way you engage with the Bible, I encourage you to do that this morning. Scripture is one of the ways that we become to understand who God is, and, and, and I would encourage you to use it. And so this morning, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament. Um, and um, it is uh, a letter from um, the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And, uh, and I'm going to be this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to read a little bit, talk about it, read a little bit, talk about it. But um, we're going to start here in verse 7. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Paul writes this. Uh, but we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. What Paul is talking about there is, is the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, the good news of God's salvation to the world, that the good news is that, that God has given us this extraordinary gift, and Paul likens it to, to putting extraordinary treasure in clay jars. Well, clay jars are, are obviously very fragile. If you were to go on a dig site in the ancient Near East now, uh, um, or what used to be the ancient Near East, you would find many potsherds. This is what they find most often, right? They'll, they'll dig up some land, and they, and they find so many potsherds, they can't really collect them all. There's really no point, because there were, there were so many of them. And Paul says the fact that God has given us the good news, the gospel message, is like putting this great treasure in clay jars. Why? So that no one may boast. So that all of the glory would go to God. It's a little bit as if we would take, you know, our, our 401k and put it in a shoebox. Right? If you, if you had a shoebox with a million dollars in it and, and you showed somebody that shoebox, they, they wouldn't say, wow, great shoebox. Right? They, they, wouldn't, they, they wouldn't be in awe of the shoebox. They would be in awe of the treasure that is inside. And so, and so Paul writes and says, it is like God gave us this gospel message, gave us this extraordinary treasure. Why? So that God might be glorified in it. That through the weakness, God would be glorified. And Paul goes on in uh, verses 8 through 9. He says this, that we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul says, even though we've gone through the worst, even though we've gone through all these things, we still have hope. I love the way the, the theologian Frederick uh, Beekner says it. He, he writes these words. That the worst isn't the last thing about the world. The worst isn't the last thing about the world. It's the next to the last thing. The last thing is the best. That the worst thing isn't the last thing, Beekner says. I think that's good news for us. That if we believe in the resurrection... If we believe in Jesus Christ, that, that he conquered even death itself, then we believe that the worst thing that this world has to offer is not the last thing. That our weaknesses, those things that are highlighted in this pandemic, these, 
basis instincts of ourselves that don't necessarily lead to life, friends, those are not the last thing about us. That if this is all there is, that if this, if this life, if this world is all there is, then that's all there is. And, and I would think that there's a, there would be a lot of reason to despair. There would be a lot of reason to struggle through that. But if there is more than this, if there is more than this life, then there is so much more. Friends, we believe in a God who says that the worst thing is not the last thing. Our weaknesses don't have to consume us. Why? Because God has put a treasure inside so that God might be glorified. Paul goes on in, in verse 10, and he says this, that we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul says that, that we have the life of Christ in us. That even though we die, we, we have something much greater happening beneath the surface. That even though there are these things that are happening externally, there are these things that are around us, there are these things that are happening, and, and they're all on the exterior, but inside there is something developing. There is something, something happening that is leading to new life. You know, I, I, I was blessed and able to, to visit some friends this last, um, last couple of days. And, and one of our friends, they're, they're pregnant. And, and was so excited to get to celebrate with them. And it reminded me of, of um, when my wife Melissa was pregnant. And, and I remember just the extraordinary opportunity it was to, to watch all of this develop. And, and, and to watch her, her stomach grow and, and to know that there was new life developing in those moments. And I remember at one point, you know, Melissa was later on in the pregnancy and we were in the living room and she was telling me, you know, the symptoms that she was having, the things that were going on, the, the pains that she was feeling, you know, and, and there was this and there was that and this hurts and, and all these things are happening. And I said, you know, if any of that was happening to me at any given day, I think I would have called in sick, you know, like I, I don't know if I could have functioned in that way because those symptoms alone those things alone, for, for no seeming purpose, for, for no objective point, those things alone lead to despair. But there was this pain that my wife was enduring. And it was leading to new life. Friends, that's what we have. There's this, this thing we're going through. And it's hard. I'm not asking you to lie and say it's easy. I'm not asking you to put on a smile and, and just pretend like everything's okay. 
Because sometimes it's not. I know that there are moments that our weakness seems to consume us. That the lack of control that we have feels like we're falling into a pit. There are things that are happening that are outside of our control. Friends, I, I understand. I know I'm, I'm with you. But the good news about all of this is that God is doing something new just beneath the surface. That there is something happening in this moment that I believe that if, that if God can overcome death itself, that if God can take death and bring from it new life, then God can take this event, these moments, and bring from it goodness and bring from it new life. God could even take our weakness and make it something so much more. As I was reading about this, this book this morning, I was reading about 2 Corinthians. I, would, I was learning about who the people of Corinth are. In this town in which Paul writes, it, it, it's kind of a strange town. They, they kind of experienced this boom just real recently. This economic wealth just kind of developed all of a sudden. And, and there were just a handful of people that were extremely wealthy in the town. And there was almost no middle class. And then there were all of these people who were basically living in poverty every day of their life. And these people, the, the ones who were impoverished, were the majority of the Christian church at this time. They were impoverished, not only economically, but education and all these different ways. They, they were really living in poverty and in despair. And these are the people that formed the church. And these are the people that called Paul the father of their faith. And so he turns around and he writes to them. Who are the people of Corinth but a group of people who are weak? A group of people who are broken. And Paul writes to them to encourage them. And, and, and as I was reading about 2 Corinthians um, this week, as I was reading about it, I came across this phrase. I, I don't think I've ever heard this before, but I came across this phrase of the theology of weakness. And theology, the theology of weakness says that Paul in 2 Corinthians highlights his theology of weakness. Theology is simply belief about God and, and, and how God interacts. And, and, and theology of weakness would be how, how God interacts with our weakness. What God does with our weakness. And, and, and this is nowhere more highlighted than in this passage of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. It's the same book, a different chapter. It says this, that Paul writes as God speaking is saying, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Friends, that's what we have to celebrate this morning. God put this treasure in clay jars. 
And God's not expecting the clay jar to be something more than it is because it's simply a clay jar. And it's meant to be that way. And boast all the more about being a clay jar. Why? Not because we like clay jars, but because we love the treasure that's within them. Friends, we have good news. That despite all the things that are happening around us, that God is doing something new. And so I want to encourage us this morning. I want to encourage us to practice just a few things. The first thing is this, that to make a list of your weaknesses. This week, make a list of your weaknesses and celebrate them. Make a list of your weaknesses and celebrate them. Thank God for them. Why? Because we know that we don't have to be something more than we are. That we are simply clay jars with the greatest gift inside. Make a list of your weaknesses and celebrate them. But our weaknesses are not meant to leave us in despair. These weaknesses are meant to drive us to hope. They're they're meant to drive us to, to be the hope of the world, a city on a hill, a lamp on a stand. It's meant so that we can be these people of hope. And friends, if we're going to be people of hope, I, I think we need to watch how much time we spend in despair. We need to watch how much time we spend in this narcissism, spend how much time we spend in, in this infighting. And, and so I want to encourage us this week to limit our social media intake. I want to encourage you today, decide how much time this week you want to spend on social media. Decide today, how much time do you want to spend online, on, on social media, on, on whatever it is that you, that you spend all the time on interacting with other people and talking to other people around the world? It's a great tool, but left to our own devices, it can highlight the worst parts of ourselves. And so today, start and and maybe even write it down somewhere and say, you know what, this week I want to spend this much time a day on social media. And then do it. Why? So that we can be people of hope. So that we can know that that strength is, made perp- strength is made perfect in weakness. But that we are a people who are going to focus on the good treasure that is inside of us and not on the clay jar. And then finally, I want to encourage you in this. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's 1 Peter 3.15. Uh, it says this, that, that always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I love this passage because it says to give, a, to give an answer to everyone. What does that assume? That somebody has asked you about your hope. That you have lived in such a way that is in such stark contrast from the world around you. That you lived in such a way that that other people want to be near you. That that other people want to glean something from you. Like it looks like you have something to give. And the writer says, always be ready to give an answer. 
For when people ask you and say, you know what, you live differently. The way that you parent is different. The way that you operate at your work is different. The way that you live your life is different. How can you live in that way, especially now in this new normal? How can you live in that manner? What is it that I can have that you already have? And my prayer is that we will smile as we tell them. about the life-changing love of God. Let us pray. God, we are clay jars. God, we, we break. We're fragile. We're weak. Still you have chosen us. Still you have called us your sons and daughters. Still you have entrusted us with the greatest gift this world has ever seen. And God, we thank you. We pray for your Holy Spirit. That we would boast all the more gladly of our weaknesses. Not so that we would be glorified, but so that you will be glorified. God, in this new normal, God, I pray that you would give us the strength to know that you are doing something new right here and now, that you are working in our lives to bring hope to our neighbors through us, to bring peace to our coworkers through us, to bring love to our family and our friends and those who are far off through us. We pray that you would be glorified in it. We ask it by the power of the Holy Spirit in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen.